this is the atmosphere that I like to preach in. So, yeah, you guys are awake and alert, and worship was awesome, and again, welcome to all the first-time, or the new members and the first-time visitors that are here this morning. Uh, For those of you that are watching online or maybe listening to this message via podcast, SoundCloud, or the website, today we're going to do something that is a little bit different than what I normally do. I'm going to teach us on a subject and a topic that I would rarely do on a Sunday morning. And it's something that really does need to be done about once a year. And it's a topic that most people don't understand or pay attention to. And there's good reason for that because there's a very real enemy that hates you and that by design doesn't want you to know what he's up to. And so this morning... I'm going to go a little bit out of the box. We're in between series. We just finished a series called The Determined Lifestyle. And basically it was five, I think it turned out to be about five weeks talking about the cross. We're going to talk some about the cross today, but we're getting ready for our new marriage and family series, which is going to start actually in two weeks. And that series is going to be titled Reclaimed. And it comes from a position of taking back the promises of God and the covenant commitment that he has for all of us that was lost when Adam and Eve fell and what was restored with what Jesus did. And we're going to talk about why covenant is under attack and why the enemy hates marriage, family, works hard to keep sons and daughters without mamas and papas and to keep them angry and mad and living a life of shame, blame, isolation, and sin. So this is kind of an in-between message, but it's going to tie into a lot of what we're going to talk about when we talk about marriage and family, which is coming in a few weeks. So today I'm going to talk about a topic that some of you may not know a lot about, and I'm going to give you a very basic introduction without going too deep and hopefully not going over your head and hopefully not freaking you out too much. But we have to have reality-based conversations. Because if we don't, our sons and daughters and most people are going to get it from Hollywood, the news channels, the internet. And there are things that have to be talked about on a Sunday morning. And we can't just try to be popular or appease the masses. So we're going to talk about spiritual warfare this morning. Hey. That's what I like to hear. So we're going to revisit a topic that um, is extremely extremely relevant right now, especially with what's happening here at Rock City Church, especially with what's happening in these end times, how much darkness is out there, how do we process it, how do we process the things we read and hear about, and how do we deal with the struggles in our own personal life, how does the Lord see us, how did he deal with the enemy, and how do we deal with the enemy? This is a topic that there's always a fine line because the last thing that I want to do or will do is glorify the devil. But the Bible is full of scriptures and stories pertaining to him. Mostly in the context of what his intent is and what he does and what happened to him with what Jesus did on the cross. So the way that we really have to deal with spiritual warfare is by always looking to the cross and always looking to Jesus and what he did and what he provided. But we have to realize what his game is and what he's out to do and how he goes about it and what our response should be. 
Spiritual warfare, when I first came to the Lord, looks a lot different than the way it looks now. And in 26 years, I've grown a lot in my understanding of how to deal with the devil. And mostly, I've learned that if I will love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and shut the door to the enemy, he has no right and no place, and he simply has to flee. But there's still a standing firm, there's still a resisting, there's still a submitting to God, and there's still an understanding that there's a very real enemy that hates you, and he's crafty, and he's cunning, and he's the same devil that was in the garden, and the same devil that deceived David with Bathsheba. He's the same one, and he's got these crafty strategies that the Lord brings to light and shows us what they are so that we don't fall prey to them. One of one of the greatest strategies of the enemy is, of course, to divide us and to bring unforgiveness. And if we can walk in hate and bitterness and be angry and preserve ourselves and not walk in unity, then he gets a foothold and he holds us captive to those things. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But I thought that since I have a little more time, thank God it's the second service uh, this was extremely difficult at the first service because my time is so limited. The second service, this service, I do take more time to develop stories and to teach on the concepts that the Lord's showing me for you. So thank you guys for being here, okay? I'm going to do my best to keep it interesting. I can assure you my first two stories will definitely keep you alert and awake, and I'm going to tell them on a Sunday morning. I, I might not normally tell these stories on a Sunday morning, but sometimes a story is the best way for you to show, for me to show you what I learned and for you to learn from my own example, okay? So I don't have time to tell my testimony this morning. If you haven't heard my testimony of, of how I gave my life to the Lord and the life that I came from, I'd encourage you to go on to the uh, podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or on our website, and you can go back about a year or so and listen to my story. But in a nutshell... I was raised without a father early on. My Jewish blood father left my mom and I when I was a child, and I was raised in a very dysfunctional situation by a single mother. I spent a lot of my time and a lot of my early childhood days at a babysitter's house from seven in the morning until midnight. My mom cut hair. She was a hairdresser during the day, and she was a cocktail waitress at night. And so from the time I was a baby until five or six, I was at the babysitter, and I remember those early days, and I remember how hard it was. The babysitter that I was with was very poor. It was not a clean situation. Uh, there were a lot of brothers and sisters in that family that fought all the time, that spoke horribly to me, and I absolutely hated it. And so early on, I had neglect and abandonment in my life, and what that does is over the course of time, it begins to creep in as shame, as if something's wrong with me. And when a child is not raised with a father or a mother that nourishes and cares and is present in their life, they're robbed of one of the most vital things that the Lord has created in the context of family, and that's being nourished, cherished, loved, and receiving affirmation and care. And so I didn't have that. And so what happened was I did have a stepfather that came into my life, and I tell this on my testimony, and I loved him dearly, but I was not raised in a godly home. He was a small-town Kansas boy, and he was raised in a denominational church where he didn't want really anything to do with that denominational church. And so I didn't go to church as a kid. I didn't know anything really about the Lord as a kid, and I was raised in a broken home. 
my stepfather and my mom were together for a while, and then he moved to Missouri where I moved, and my, then they separated, and half the year I'd spend time with my stepfather, and half the year I'd spend time with my mom in South Florida. And what happened was, was I began to look for comfort and affirmation and love and affection from the things of the world. Now, this is a common story. This is not something that's so new and so shocking. My story is like so many people's story, that when we're raised in broken homes and we haven't received true love and affirmation, or we had people that were dysfunctional authorities over our life, we rebel and we reject that because of the hurt and the pain and the shame that comes with it. And so uh, as, a, as a, the president of an outlaw biker ministry here in Corpus called the Tribe of Judah, I minister to people that are very, very broken and were very hurt from the time they were a child. And it's one of the great things about Rock City Church is that people that never knew the father or had a healthy family can come in here and find family and find the father's love and discover who they're really, who they were always intended to be. One of the greatest deceptive lies of the enemy is to get you to believe there's something wrong with you. That's what shame does. And so when you get the father's love in your life and when you become a son and a daughter, your identity shifts. And now he begins to speak to us for who we were created to be and how he sees us, not how the enemy sees us or, to, or what the enemy tells us about ourselves. And that's why in Rock City Church, you sh this should be a culture that's constantly affirming, loving, encouraging. That's always pointing people to the promise, not beating them up when they're down. That's the dysfunction of religion. Religion will kick you when you're down. Religion will beat you over the head with the Bible. But real family, real love, real mothers and fathers will speak affirmation, care, tenderness, and nourishment to help you grow up into who you're called to be. And that takes time. That's a process. I've been walking with the Lord now for 26 years. And in 26 years, I've made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. But I had people around me that affirmed me and loved me. And I believed what I read in the Bible. And because of that, my life was transformed and God never gave up on me. The key for me was to never give up. And the challenge for so many is when it gets hard, when you fail, the lies of comparison, the lies of shame, the lies of the enemy cause us to give up or want to give up. In fact, there are people here that come in and out a lot, but they keep coming back because they know we love them. And I keep saying, don't give up. Because God in his care for you as a father, did what you couldn't do. And if you'll keep pursuing him and keep saying yes, I promise you, he won't give up. And at some point, the switch is going to flip. It flipped for me at some point. I really genuinely realized how much the father loved me. And I had a vision of the cross. And I, I realized that when I had bombed it a thousand times and I didn't just fall into sin... I did a double backflip, perfect 10 swan dive into it. And then the next day, God was speaking to me of how much he loves me. It didn't compute. Because I was taught that you made your bed, now lie in it. I was taught that you, you deserve the punishment of what you did. And now God is separated from you. And he doesn't really love and care for you the way that you think he does. And then the devil accuses. That's what I was taught. But I learned through a lot of trial and error and patience and process that God really did love me and cared for me. And I learned by never giving up and by believing what I was reading and what I was hearing. The key is to be around people that believe the same and speak the same and love the same.
That's the key. And that's why I believe Rock City Church is here. We're not the only ones. There are some great churches in this city. There are pastors that are real fathers in this city. But God has us here in Flower Bluff, in Corpus Christi, for such a time as this and for a reason. And I'm not comparing myself to any other church. I don't have to be like anybody else. God has them in their lane, and we're all a body doing what God's called us to do. All we need to do is keep our eyes on Jesus and love well and understand what God's doing and be a part of the vision that he has for us, his body, in these end times. And so what happened for me was I started to get into new age and witchcraft and med crystal meditation. I started following this band, the Grateful Dead, around the country. And the Grateful Dead is a throwback band from the 60s. And what I was looking for was community and affirmation and friendship and, of course, peace, love, and happiness. So I'd follow this, country, this band around the country with thousands and thousands of people that got to know me by name, that said they loved me, and I had a lot of fun with them. But the problem was when the band left town, the peace, love, and happiness left town. When the party was over at the club and I'd slept around and drank and smoked and partied, that next morning I was empty and had a void inside of my heart. So the cyclical pattern is, is I would keep running back to it because really I was struggling with shame, identity, who I was, value, and I was trying to find it in everything else in this world. And so I got into all this new age practices and I saw a lot of darkness, a lot of darkness. I saw people die right in front of me, sticking a needle in their arm. I saw mothers hooked on crack weighing 75 pounds while the kids had no food on the table, three, four, five kids hooked on crack, and I was a culprit selling it to them. It was massive amounts of dysfunction, massive amounts of dysfunction. But God and his love and his care for me would rescue me. And God and his love and his kindness for me as an orphaned, abandoned, hurting, imprisoned son would come to my rescue, unlock the prison door, and make a way out for me. Now, that story's on the podcast. I don't have time to tell you how that happened. It's, it's my own testimony. It's powerful. It defeats the enemy, and no one can ever take it from me, and it's the same for you. But I want to tell you something very powerful when I go into spiritual warfare. I had practiced and opened the door to so much demonic activity. I thought I could channel spirits with crystal meditation, and I tried. I got into all kinds of crazy psychic and tarot cards and all kinds of weird new age stuff. But when Jesus finally came to my rescue and I read in the Bible what he did on the cross, what he did the enemy, and the power of the blood of Jesus, I believed it. And when I believed it, I said, I don't want that anymore. And when I used to practice that old way with his strength inside of me, I started practicing righteousness because I didn't want to live the way I lived anymore. And that's the ultimate rubber meets the road, is that at some point you come to the place that says, I'm tired of strife, division, fighting, numbing myself out on drugs and alcohol, sleeping with false lovers that don't really care about me. I'm I don't want that anymore. And so my heart became white and ripe for the harvest. And then God put a sickle in and rescued me. Okay? Now, when I came to that place, I said, everything that I used to do, I don't want anymore. And he said to me, this is my story, he said, I want you to take all your Grateful Dead paraphernalia, all your old classic rock CD, or at that time there were tapes, no CDs, 26 years ago, and I want you to burn it all in a pile, right? So I got radical, and I burned it in this massive pile, right? I'll never forget that day. 
that I burned it all. And I turned my back on my old lifestyle. Now, I still struggled. I still made mistakes. I still fell short. But every time I fell short and I struggled and I made a mistake, that would provide the opportunity for the Lord to come in and show me just how much he cared for me, had mercy. See, I learned the mercy and the love of the Lord. Now, some people can go cold turkey, turn around, and never, never look back. But for me, it was this process of discovery. And some of you are in that process of discovery, and you need people around you that are patient, loving, kind, and merciful, and you need to understand that that's the way that Jesus is. So Jesus would have to become a man. He'd have to partake in flesh and blood, basically coming into humanity just the way we were and overcome himself so that now he would have compassion, care, and mercy for you as our high priest so you can look to him anytime, and he helps you. Everybody say, he helps me. So if he gives you aid and helps you, how much more should we? I'm going to show all this to you in the scripture. This is great news. Aren't you guys fired up? I mean, this is like the best news you could ever hear on a Sunday morning, okay? Now, I'm going to take you deep into some demonic activity and what the Lord has taught me and how we as a church are going to overcome demonic activity. Because you better believe anytime you're going to make a decision to move forward in the things of God, if you're saying to yourself, I want more, and not just here to be a skeptic of Rock City and checking me out and what you've heard. Like, if you really want more in your life, you're going to get it. And God has it for you. Okay? And if you want more, let me tell you that the devil is going to work on overtime to keep you back. Why? Because he once held you captive in the prison of dysfunction, sin, shame, death. He wants to kill you. So I don't have time to set it all up, but John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but Jesus came that he, you'd have life and have it more abundantly. So there is a thief and he hates you. I can take it all the way back to the garden in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and fell in the garden. And now God would put enmity between the woman and the seed, which is Jesus. And that the devil hates, 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 hates you. I could go into all that. But I don't have time to develop it fully out on a Sunday morning. Read your Bible, learn, seek the things out that I teach you and that we talk about. And let's get into the fight. So one of the things I say a lot here is that God wants an army, not an audience. An audience just comes to spectate, does their right Sunday morning Christian duty, they feel good, we did our church thing, our conscience feels better. Let's get past that. Let's get in the fight. Let's go rescue some orphans. Let's go rescue some people being human trafficked. Let's pull some, peop some prostitutes off the street. Let's get down and dirty and get some people out of their hurt and their pain just like I was, right? <clears throat> and so I shut the door to the enemy and I said, that's it, no more. Now, he worked on overtime. He brought back all the stuff from my past and tried to remind me. I tried to look back, but I believed in the power of the blood of Jesus. And I believed that the blood shut the door. See, if I could just get you to believe what the Bible says and what Jesus did and provided on the cross, your process of healing and deliverance can go so much faster. Amen. But you have to have people around you that are patient when you mess up, screw up, or fall. I love the scripture that says, though a righteous man falls seven times. And what I love about that is it doesn't say six times. Because seven times, I mean, I may have fallen to the perfect number, but God in his love and his kindness says, get back up dust your knees off, come to the blood, come to the forgiveness. You're going to get it in the process of time. Learn what I've done for you, okay? And so I shut the door to the enemy. So a big context of the message this morning is shut the door. Everybody say shut the door. Shut the door. All right, so we're going to talk about shutting the door, and I'm going to tell you a story 
two stories of some, uh, some ladies that did not want to shut the door. And what happened, all right? So <clears throat> when I first came to the Lord, I started reading things in the Bible about things like in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 20, which talk about how these signs would follow those that believe in my name. They would pray in other tongues, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. I said, hmm, cast out demons. And then I'd read this scripture where it said, Jesus went around healing everybody that was oppressed by the devil. And then I'd read things how John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River, and he said, one who comes after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire, Matthew 3.11. And I always liked fire, not like I was a pyro guy, but I wore bright red tie eyes, and I liked fire. I liked twirling fire. I liked stuff like that. I like fire pits, you know. And so I'm reading this kind of stuff. I'm just like really, really fascinated. And then God took me to the book of Acts, and I read the book of Acts. I was like, whoa. And then I had this realization. If I call myself a Christ follower, shouldn't I be doing what Jesus did? I was like, yeah. If I call myself a Christian, I should be doing what Jesus did. Now, that takes time. You need people to train you, equip you. You need to read your Bible. You need to learn. It's process, okay? But I realized, hey, if he's doing this stuff, I want to do this stuff. So I started getting pretty fascinated with spiritual warfare. Now, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I didn't have a church like this. I was living in Miami, Florida. And all my old club friends and all my old reggae band friends and everybody that I knew was calling me to hang out and party. So I had to make the decision to... Shut the door to my past, okay? Because I realized when I first came to the Lord, I had this incredible experience that I called the joy of my salvation. Like I was so in love. I was so fired up. Like I could be forgiven for every failure, every hurt, everything that I've ever done. I mean, it really rocked me. So because that experience was so powerful, it blew my old experiences of my party life and the Grateful Dead and all that out of the water. So I didn't want to go back to it anymore. It wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. And so I shut the door to the enemy. But I was reading about spiritual warfare. I was coming under attack. I was in Miami. It was very dark. I was trying to reach my old friends. I was going through a lot of difficult things when it came to spiritual warfare. Over the course of time, I started reading some spiritual warfare books. Now, some of them out there I do not like and don't recommend, but there's some that are good that are out there. And so I just started kind of reading and discovering, reading my Bible, learning a little bit about those things, reading about this thing called authority and power and that Jesus delegated it in Luke 9 and Luke 10 to the disciples and then the 70 and he sent them out and he gave them power and authority. I read stuff like that, but I had never had any encounter with somebody that was possessed or a demon face-to-face -face as a Christian. So many years later, I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Oral Roberts University. And I'm in Tulsa going to ORU, and I'm at my church volunteering, and there's a guy that cut my hair that I was, you know, becoming pretty good friends with, and he invited me over. He was going through some difficult times, and he needed some help. So I go over to his house, and he's having a bottle of wine, not just a glass, but like he's having a bottle of wine. And I said, listen, man, I came over to pray. He offered me something. I like, I don't want any wine. I said, let me pray for you. So I started praying for him. Uh, my phone's ringing. I hope that's not them calling. No, just kidding. So my phone started ringing. My phone started ringing. So I sent it to voicemail, kept praying. My phone rang again, kept rang again. I just, I'm like, who's trying to call me so much? So as soon as I got done praying, I checked my voicemail. 
Now, there was a guy that I was ministering to that was a country singer, very handsome young adult. You'll meet him at some point. He's older now. This was quite a while ago. Uh, but this guy was just coming right out of the bars. I mean, he, he wanted to be famous and play in the clubs, play in the bars, and he had a lot of girlfriends, but I had met him, and he'd been really attracted to the Lord, and I was kind of witnessing and discipling to him, and he was the one that was calling me. You see, he lived at a house that had a couple stripper, stripper girls and a shaman, and one of the stripper girls was dating the shaman. Okay, now I'm not going to go into who was shaman, it's just witchcraft, all right? And so they were dating, and they got into a fight, and they were all doing drugs. David came home. There was coke and drugs all around. They got into a fight. The shaman touches the stripper girl. She gets possessed with a demon, and then the other stripper girl believed that she had a gift called impasse. Now, in the New Age world, this is a, a gift that basically says, if you're sick or you're in pain, I can take that from you upon myself. It's extremely demonic. Let me tell you why. Because it's an antichrist spirit. Because Jesus already took it on the cross. Okay? Like, I'll give you an example. Cutting is an antichrist spirit. Let me tell you why. Because when you're in pain, people cut themselves or burn themselves so that they feel worse pain there that they don't have to feel the other pain. But that's what Jesus died for. See, Jesus died on the cross to take all the pain and to take all the shame and to take all the grief and to take all the things that you're struggling with and going with, right? And so... This girl hits the ground and starts choking, and David's there, and he's freaking out. And she's wriggling and writhing on the floor, and she's choking. She couldn't breathe. So David picks up the phone and calls me, and I'm sending it to voicemail. So I finally answer the call, or, or finally call him back, and he's driving in his car, and he's, and he's praying in tongues under his voice, freaking out, like totally freaking out. And in the back seat, I can hear, no, no, ah! I'm hearing this crazy noise in the back seat. Now, understand, I have never, ever been in any situation like this, all right? This is my first experience ever of how God taught me the very basic introductory elements of spiritual warfare, okay? And so I, uh, I said, what's going on? He goes, man, we were at this house, and they got in a fight, and this girl touched this other girl, and she got, she's choking, she can't breathe, and we don't know what to do, and she's saying, take me to the river, take me to the river, which is the Arkansas River. I was in Tulsa at the time. And the mindset was somebody that has impasse. It's kind of like the movie The Green Mile, yeah. where you can take that sickness upon yourself and then expel it, which is a total deceptive lie, okay? And so the girl uh, took it on herself, and she's saying, take me to the river, take me to the river so I can get it out which I believe that the demons were going to actually try to kill her and throw her in the river, right? And I'll just stop the story there. You guys don't want to hear anything else. You want to know what happened? I got your attention now, don't I, right? This is one way to get a Sunday morning crowd's attention. Listen, if we don't teach it, somebody else will. This is, in the world, this is normal stuff, all right? So anyway... I, uh, he said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. She's choking. She's choking. She's screaming. I said, well, take her to my apartment. I said, bring her to my, my apartment, and we'll deal with her there. Right? I'm like, I'm going to be super. I'm going to bust her up right at my apartment. So as, as I'm driving to my apartment from where I was, I literally drive by my friend's house who's from Venezuela who was going to ORU, and my church, and his name is Angel. 
an angel calls me and he goes, bro, what's going on? I just had this, this inkling that I needed to call you. I said, listen, man, I need you to pray. Can you come with me? He's like, I can't come right now. I'm too tied up. I said, well, listen, pray for me. I'm going over to my apartment. This lady's manifesting a demon. We're going to bust it up. And he said, he says, do not take her to your apartment. That's the last one. I'm like, yeah, that probably makes sense. I probably shouldn't take her to my apartment. Because he's like, your apartment, your home is your sanctuary. He's like, that's not where you need to, to do that, right? So I said, I said, oh, you're right. I said, okay, pray for me. And I hung up and I called my friend David. And I said, listen, go to the little assembly of God church that's right around the corner from my house. He said, okay, I'll meet you in the parking lot. Now, let me describe the scene to you when I pulled up to that parking lot, okay? This is a church that sits on the side of a hill. On the back side is the parking lot, and it's a three-story wall with three crosses. It's a brick building, no windows, three crosses. And you walk up the stairs to the side to the front door that sits on the, on the first floor of that hill. Basically, you would drop people off. They'd go park around, and you walk in through the front door, and the sanctuary is in the back. And there's one lone street light in that parking lot. And when I pull up, there's the brick wall with the three crosses, the expansive empty parking lot, and there's their car with one door open, and the, I can see a body laying out halfway with her arm on the ground. And I thought, this is like right out of a Hollywood movie. I mean, I can't even make this stuff up. This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. This church, the crosses, the street light, the girl laying out with her arm on the ground, and I'm seeing David pacing back and forth, totally freaking out, and another couple people up to the side talking amongst themselves. And so I pull up, and I get out of the car. Now, I've read a few things. I've got a little bit of understanding. I've got some book knowledge from the Bible and from some other books, but I've never faced a situation like this before. And so I get out of the car, and I say to David, what's going on? He goes, oh, my gosh, she's freaking out. She's choking. And then the other people are like, we got to get her to the hospital. We got to get her to the hospital. But I had this, this spiritual understanding that what they really wanted to do, what the devil really wanted to do was either a killer or two, not get delivered at the moment. So I'm like, she doesn't need to go to the hospital. This is the devil trying to choke her and kill her. And so I walked up to the girl. She's laid out, stripper girl, half shirt, stomach hanging out, laying outside of the car. And as soon as I walked up and I looked at her, she's laying there with her eyes closed. Her eyes get this squinty, beaded look, and she gets this smirky smile. I'm talking like right out of the movie, The Exorcist, okay? And she looked at me and she goes, no, no, and I went, whoa, whoa, right? My hair stood up on end. I mean, it was on like Donkey Kong. I mean, it was like crazy, right? And so, so David, my friend David, jumps down into the middle and tries to hold her down, right? The girl's got strength of like 10 people, throws him on his back and kicks the windshield right out of the car, smashes it. And I'm like totally freaked out. I mean like totally freaked out. And so I looked at her and I remembered I had read something in Matthew 18 about this binding and loosening thing. And I've learned a lot since then, but I looked at the girl and I said, in the name of Jesus, I bind you and I command you to come out. And she closes her eyes and gets in a locked jaw like a seizure, somebody having a seizure would. And just frozen. And I said, get her out of the car and lay her out here on the, so on, the, on the parking lot. 
And so I looked at her and I said, devil, you can't hide. I know you're in there. And I felt this power like I'd never, ever, ever felt before. I felt this type of authority in my body like I was wielding, like I was the little Martian guy with the laser to blow up the earth. Was, I mean, I felt like I could just really, literally had power to do anything. It was crazy. And so I began to say in the name of Jesus, she was locked on, then she opened up her eyes and spoke in this gurgly voice, cussing me out, speaking my name, saying, you know, blankety blank, David, you can't, I'm going to kill her, saying all these things about killing this girl. And I'm like, no, you're not. And we went back and forth for about 45 minutes. And it was back and forth. The, the, the enemy would smack her head against the ground. The girl would scream. And it was this crazy thing that I'd never experienced. But I kept going at it. And sometimes I would get in my own flesh and I'd use my own words and it wouldn't work. And then the Lord said, just worship me. And I would lift my hands. I'd say, okay, let's just worship. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I'd never, I didn't have anybody there coaching me but the Lord. I'd never been in this situation before. But finally, after about 45 minutes, the last thing that devil said to me was, I'm gonna kill her. I will kill her. And then she screamed with a loud voice and the devil came out. And as soon as she, they pulled her up and sat her up, I mean, her hair's a mess, just totally a wreck. The first thing she says is, I need a cigarette. I said, well, somebody get her a cigarette already. Get her a cigarette, you know. <laughs> and if the girl needs a cigarette now, I mean, just get her one for goodness sake. <clears throat> and I said, listen, and I knew her name, I won't say her name. I said, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to surrender every area of your life to Jesus. And she goes, no, no, no. I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And I'm like, but you need, she's like, no, no, God killed my mom. God killed my mom. And so I looked and her brother happened to be there, one of the other guys. I said, what's going on? And he said, when they were younger, they went to a church that didn't believe in doctors and believed that the Lord, small town, super Pentecostal freaky church in, in Oklahoma wouldn't let the mom go to a doctor and said God was going to heal her and it didn't happen and she died. And she was robbed by she was robbed from her mother at an early age and was and was putting the blame on God and didn't want to hear anything to do with Jesus and would not accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior and I learned something very powerful that day. I learned that even though I had the power and the authority to deal with the enemy and it took forever to do it one, it would have been a lot easier if she would have, would have really wanted to be free. But number two, I shouldn't have cast that demon out of her because ultimately she's going to choose to go back to her old life and not surrender her life to Jesus and shut the door. This is my first encounter, and I made a great mistake. It was powerful. It's a great story. I learned a lot about power and authority. Now, fast forward. Many years later, I have a ton of stories where demons just, man, I don't, I'm not a demon hunter. I'm not out for people to manifest. What I want you to do is just shut the door, come to Jesus, get born again, know the love of the Lord, come to the cross, lay your life down. That settles it, yeah. right? But it's not always that easy. There are times that people come up for prayer and I can just see, they, I say, okay, well, just look at me right now, look me in the eyes. They're, I've even had people come up and say, listen, I just need to let you know I'm possessed. I've been doing Ouija boards and this and that. I'm like, okay, well, do you want to get free? Yeah. Let's confess Jesus is your Lord. Let's forgive. God leads me through a process. And man, as soon as I say the blood of Jesus, that demon manifests. And I'm like, come out in Jesus' name. Because they've shut the door. You see, the devil only has power over your life and what you give him. 
The devil actually can't kill you unless you make the choice and decision to sin and open the door and allow what brings death into your life and shame and blame into your life. Once you shut that door, and even if you fall again, you can now come to the blood and come to the power of the forgiveness and your mediator in heaven and shut it again. And it's this process of me learning that over the course of a lifetime, right? And so fast forward, I'm leading a youth ministry in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and as I'm walking into the youth sanctuary, a mom walks up, her son's already in the service, a mom walks up, catches me at the door, and hands me a note. And that, I open up the note in the sound booth, I go in the sanctuary, open up the note, and the note says, I'm a witch, I practice witchcraft, I've sold my soul to the devil, I made a blood covenant with the devil, and tonight I'm going to kill myself and I'm going to murder my son. Now, what do you do with that? I mean, seriously, like I didn't, there's no training for that. But what I do know is if somebody is seriously considering harm to their children or abuse or suicide, legally I have an obligation to get them professional help and to report them. Okay? Now, you wouldn't believe the stuff that people confess to. The tell the truth anointing comes. I had somebody confess to murder and give their life to Jesus and go to the police station and say, this is what I think. I, now, I blacked out, but I think I killed a guy. And the guy had to get arrested and locked up for it. But he had given his life to Jesus, and he could no longer live with the shame and the pain for what he had done. Right? And so I look at the note, and I'm like, whoa. And then the, my leaders come up to me and say, hey, there's a lady sitting out the front door that says she wants her note back. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can't give the note back now, right? I mean, I can't do that. And so I said, well, you tell her to wait out there until the service is over. So we finished the service. So I have some of my leaders. Lester Summerall was there at the time. My coffee guy, my best friend, Tor Nordstrom. They were all there, my leaders. So we walk out, and I say, I say to the mom, I said, come on, let's go sit outside at the curb outside, okay? I had already gotten the number for the, for the uh, suicide. It's called COPES there in Oklahoma. And COPES would then in turn bring in the authorities. There's a whole process to that. And so we sat down on the curb, and we start talking. I said, so tell me about the note. She says, listen, I just want the note, and I want to leave. I said, you can't get the note back. I'm really so sorry. I can't give you the note back. And I said, but let's talk about what's going on with you. And she says, well, what do you want to know? I've given my life to the devil. I, I'm, I have made a covenant with him, and I can't get out of it. And I said, so, let, so you've been practicing Wicca. She goes, how did you know that? I said, the Lord showed me that it was Wicca. And so she says, yeah, it is, but I can't get out of it. I said, oh, oh, yeah, you can. I said, I mean, the blood of Jesus can cancel that. And as soon as I said the blood of Jesus, she turns and looked. We're sitting on the curb. She looks at me and she says, don't say that. And I said, my hair, I mean, my hair's kind of standing up on now just talking about it, right? (laughs) My hair stood up on an end. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, I'm always up for a good fight. I look back at her and I said, the blood of Jesus. I mean, I looked her right in the eyes. I said, the blood of Jesus can cancel that covenant. And she says, don't say that. And she jumps to her feet. I jump to my feet and she gets right up in my face, rears back her fist to knock me. I mean, she was ready to fight me. Because when I said the blood of Jesus, 
The devil hates that. Because the blood renewed a new covenant, which puts you back in right standing, which cancels every other covenant, which sets you free, right? And so I said, so she jumps up, I jump up, she's ready to knock me, and she comes right at me with her fist, and I looked her right in the eyes without flinching, and I said, I bind you, devil, in Jesus' name. And she's coming at me like this, and she goes, just totally limp in that moment. Now, what, this is a crazy story. Listen, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this is how I learned. Take it home with you. If a devil manifests just, you got authority in Jesus' name, right? And so what ensued for the next hour was her saying she wanted to give her life to the Lord, but then every time we'd get close, she'd close up her ears and say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. She would get in her car. She'd peel her tires out. She'd crank up Motley Crue, hot box of cigarette. I couldn't even see in the car. Rolled up the windows, locked the door. See, I still have the note. She's still going to drive away, right? And so she didn't want to hear what I have to say. Then she'd say she did. She'd get in her car. She'd peel out down the street. I'd hear Motley Crue cranked up down the street. Then she'd come back in, peel her tires and get in, sit right in front of me, hot box of cigarette. Then she'd get out and she'd say, you're right, I don't want to anymore. And then I'd try to get, lead her to Jesus. And, then she, and basically the enemy was playing me. Yeah. And then finally she comes out, she gets out of the car. And, and I say to her, I say, do you want to get to, to give you life to Jesus? Yes, I do. And I'd start to lead her. And then the devil would manifest and say, no, she doesn't. And I said, devil, I bind you. I command you to go down in Jesus' name. I want to talk to the mom. And I said her name. Yeah. And the devil looks at me and she goes, I go down. I come up. I go down. I come up. I fool ministers like you all the time. And I went, what do you do with that? I mean, I'm saying in the name of Jesus, and it's not working. Because God was teaching me a lesson. And the lesson was, when you're ready to shut the door and you're serious, I will walk through every shortcoming and failure with you. I'll, I'll care about you. But don't play me and don't play God and don't play somebody else. Come to your end and say, I don't want it anymore. Once you give your life to Jesus, then you enter into the process of your freedom. But until that girl and the other girl gave their life to Jesus, the door couldn't be shut. And so she could play me all day long because she wanted, and God wasn't going to let me take another authority situation, cast the demon out, because the Bible says when a strong man leaves a house, he goes to find seven more and comes back even worse, right? And so, you know, when you come up for prayer, just all you got to do is say yes and that you want it, yeah. right? And I'll pray for you a thousand times. Mm -hmm. I really, really will. But you have to come to the place that says, I don't want to live the way that I live. And you know what? I'll fight for you and with you for the rest of your life. Not against you, but with you. Yeah. I'll fight together against the lies of the enemy. Yeah. Okay? So, so those are two stories. You like those stories? Yeah. All right. So you probably want to know what really happened at the end. I got on the line with Copes. I put her on the line with Copes. They did a phone evaluation with her on the phone and then told me she's free to go and uh, I wound up ripping up the note. By the way, I didn't let her take the note home, okay? So those are a couple stories to help you understand power and authority and the fact that spiritual warfare is real, but the real key and the real answer is make the decision to say, I'm shutting the door. Just say, I'm shutting the door. Let's say that. All right. So I'm going to try to keep this ultra simple for you, and I'm going to give you some great scriptures. 
All right, so dial in and listen to what I'm about to teach you this morning because this is a cultural teaching for a church like ours. We walk in power, we have extravagant worship, we believe in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe in supernatural signs and wonders and miracles, and anytime you have a church like this, the enemy's gonna work to bring disruption, he's gonna work to distract you, he's gonna tell you don't go to that church, they're crazy, I'm gonna be called a cult leader, all this crazy stuff. As soon as you start moving and being like Jesus did, even Jesus was told that he's casting out demons by the devil. They tried to accuse Jesus of being a devil, Right? And so what I want you to understand is we're not giving glory to the enemy. What we're going to talk about now is how Jesus resolved the issue. And what we're going to talk about now is if you'll make the decision to shut the door to the enemy, the enemy will have no more right, no more authority to torment you, put you in shame, make you a victim, keep you bound, keep you isolated, and we can start moving more into what God has for all of us as a family, okay? And he won't keep you away from a place like this. I don't preach normal messages, obviously, on a Sunday morning. It doesn't have to be popular. God wants an army. We have to come past the place of just coming to church to appease our conscience. We're not here to just do our church duty. We're here to become something. We're here to become sons and daughters and the bride of Christ and to take our rightful place that's already been given to us. So today I'm going to show you your rightful place and how it automatically defeats the enemy. This is going to be a good spiritual warfare message, all right? All right, you guys ready? Okay. We must realize that the devil has no authority unless we give it to him through sin and unbelief. So what kills you is sin. The wages of sin is death, okay? So the way that Jesus would triumph over death is he would, not, he would live a sinless life and then pay the price on the cross. He, because he died, he would overcome death and the devil, all right? So it all comes back to the cross. So if I can get you to the cross and realize what the cross resolved and you live a life at the cross, woo, we're all going to go places, okay? That's what we want to see happen. So sin leads to death, and the enemy's grandmaster plan is to entice you to sin, then blame you, shame you, and then accuse you for rebelling against God. So he's super subtle, super crafty. He tricks you and entices you with fascination and imagination to fixate on sin. Your flesh wants to do it. And so once the devil entices you to sin, then he comes full circle. He's the one that let, caused it and originated. Sin originated with the devil. So then he comes back around, shames you, blames you, and then causes you to believe that God is angry and mad at you for rebelling against him. It's this vicious cycle. And then what it does is it leads to a whole lifetime of bondage and fear of death. And when you're subject to a fear of death, you live in torment, you live in bondage. You live in self-preservation your entire life. That's the, the, it's a so simple understanding. And if you can get it, you can walk free like you've never walked before, right? So the way that Jesus would rescue us is by overcoming sin and tasting death for you. So now we don't have to live a life of rebellion and sin against God. You don't have to live that way anymore. He set you free from it. He opened the prison door and he made a way for all of us to be free. The door's open, guys. The forgiveness is available. It's done. He said it's finished. Take it. Grab a hold of it. Walk through that open door. Your freedom's there. He died for all. He paid the price for all. Now you can walk out of that. You don't have to live in that anymore. Okay? 
Everyone's born into a life of sin due to the sin nature. Every one of us, even my own kids are three and five. Somehow, in their sin nature, they've already learned to fight over their toys, kick, bite, scratch, be possessive, not want to share, throw temper tantrums, be mad. How does a three and five-year-old already know those things? We didn't teach it to them. They're going to have to give their lives to the Lord, and we're going to have to teach them what health, nurture them. We're going to have to discipline them in the right way. We're going to have to show them and coach them and train them by example, but ultimately, they're going to have to give their lives to Jesus. Everybody does. And so, because of the Father's love for us, Jesus would destroy the jailer, which is the devil, and he would release you from the bondage of the fear of death that torments so many for a lifetime. One of the greatest fears out there is dying, getting cancer, kids dying. It's prevalent. I have battled sickness like I've never battled in my life. We lost a 32-week daughter that was born stillborn. As a pastor, you can't believe what we see. If you're not careful how much you watch the news and the shootings and the things that are going on around the world, it produces a fear and an apathy inside of your life that if that happened to them, that could happen to you, and then you live in torment and fear and self-preservation to keep that from happening from you. And it's, it's really bondage, and I'm going to show it to you in the scripture. Some people are tormented their entire lifetime, but you can come to a place like Rock City and hear a message like this, look in your Bible, come to Jesus, and you can be free. The fear of death brings incredible bondage, and it manifests in many ways, mainly torment and self-preservation. But the Bible says God's perfect love casts out all fear, and that fear leads to torment and bondage. But in Romans chapter 8, 15, it says when God calls you as a son, he doesn't call you to fear and the torment of bondage. He calls you to the adoption of son. So now you have a daddy that fights for you. And I want to teach you that over the course of time. It's powerful. But Jesus would overcome this by becoming one of us. He would have to become a man, and he'd have to walk out a life of flesh and blood and overcome himself so that we would have a high priest that's sympathetic, merciful, caring, and compassionate. But most people don't believe that God really loves and cares and is compassionate. Religion teaches you that because of your failure, because of your sin, and because of how screwed up you are, God's mad at you and angry from you and far from you. But that couldn't be more further from the truth. The truth is, is in your darkest hour, in your most difficult time, the Lord is standing there with open arms saying, I love you. Instead of running from me, run to me. There's nothing wrong with you. You may have done something wrong and feel guilty about it, which will lead you to repentance, but don't fall into shame that you are bad and that you are wrong. And then you get around mamas and papas and leaders and people that when you confess your sin to one another, you get healing because now they say, listen, let me tell you how the Lord sees you. Let me tell you what Jesus did on the cross. Let me tell you how the blood resolved your sin issue. But you still have to shut the door. Yeah. <clears throat> let me show this to you. In Hebrews chapter, you guys all right? Yeah. This is good Sunday morning preaching right here. You didn't come all this way for a quick 20-minute Make you feel good message. Hebrews 2.14. I wish I could teach all of Hebrews chapter 2 right now. I love the whole chapter. I'm going to start here at verse 14. And it's talking about how Jesus is bringing many sons to glory and actually came and became flesh and blood so that he could overcome it. And now through him we can overcome it. And it says in verse 14, as much then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he 
Jesus likewise shared in the same. So with what you were born in and the struggles we have to overcome, Jesus would now come into our world and he would walk the earth as a man and have to overcome it and share. He shared in the same struggle, but he overcame so that we could. He never sinned so that we can look to him and overcome the sin and the shame that tries to plague our life. So through death, I want you to notice this. Through death, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, the devil actually can't kill you, but what he can do is he can make, get you to make a choice and a decision that kills you. Okay, that's what he did in the garden. He couldn't kill Adam and Eve, but he got them to believe a lie about who God was, and in turn, they fell into deception. They ate from the wrong tree, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now they believed a lie, and they fell into shame. And so their whole life, they were tormented, but Jesus would come and rescue so the way that Jesus destroyed the devil was through death. Guess how we destroy the enemy also in our life when I make the choice to go to the cross and say, I don't want to live the way that I lived anymore, and I don't want to open the door to the person that I once was. He's dead. He's gone. And through death now and carrying my own cross, the devil doesn't have an avenue and an outlet into my life. Now, this is, I have to be careful here because I don't want, you, I don't want to be a self-righteous Guy, and I don't want to get you falling into the lie of self-righteousness. Let's keep it simple. Do you think that God wants you to sin? He doesn't want you to. Now, if you do sin, 1 John 1 says you have an advocate. Everybody say, I have an advocate. Now, I'm going to show you here in a moment is that Jesus gives aid when we need it. He gives aid because he's merciful and compassionate. But I do believe in the process of maturity and in the process of growth with the Lord, slowly over the course of time, the things I once did, I don't do anymore because I'm a new creation. And now I shut the door to the enemy and I do believe that I can live a life without sin. But if I fall short, which I do at times, I have an advocate and I have aid and I have help. So instead of falling back to the lie of shame and isolation and condemnation, I can now run to the Lord, which is what I do every time. So what I'm trying to get you to do today is to get in process and start running to the Lord and stop listening to the lies. I'm not beating you up today. Don't be so self-conscious. You're not the only greatest sinner in this congregation. Okay? You're not the only one with a struggle. But if I can get you over the course of time to have less struggles less struggles, and finally get the revelation of what's been done for you because the power is there. The devil is defeated. So when he throws the attacks against you and in your life, which he will, you'll learn to resist him. You'll submit to God and resist him, and he'll flee. That's what I want to get you to understand this morning. So Jesus, through death, would destroy. Everybody say destroy. destroy. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15. Everybody say release. He would destroy and release. He'd destroy the jailer and open up the jail cell. So he would release you from the fear of death that your entire lifetime was plaguing you and keeping you in bondage, being subject to bondage. I would say the fear of death is the greatest deceptive lie that keeps people isolated, disunified, self-righteous. It's, it's the greatest lie that religion falls prey to. Because they're in self-preservation mode. And so they're going to tell you. That's where we get weird things like you can't have music in churches. But yet the Bible's full of drums and stringed instruments and, and cymbals. And 
Because the fear is, is that if you listen to that music, you're going to give in to the devil. So idiotic to me. Now, forgive me if you came from a church like that. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you. People don't read their Bible, and they fall prey to these weird religious doctrines that were just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 16. For indeed, he didn't give aid to angels, but he gives aid to who? Everybody say, tag, say, tag, I'm it. Say it again, tag, I'm it. I was driving over the cross town. I was praying for the city. I'm like, God, bring revival to Corpus Christi. Lord, let your fruit come. Let the economy shift. God, I'm telling you, transform Corpus Christi. I'm believing for this city. And I start praying. And God, and as I'm praying, I hear almost audibly the Lord say, tag, you're it. And I went, wait a minute. I'm like praying for something to happen in the city. And God says, if you will become. See, if I can get you and your home and your household, one house, one apartment, one family at a time lit up for the Lord, you can, whew. Man, yeah! My, sorry, that was, I'm touching, I'm touching the, the Lord's heart right there on that one. See, if I'll become, I'll transform. And so he said, tag, you're it. He gives aid. Everybody say, he gives aid. I don't have time to show you all about how you're the seed of Abraham, but it all comes back to covenant. God made a promise that you couldn't keep on your own, so he'd send Jesus to fulfill the new covenant, and now through the blood and the cross, guess what? All right. The gospel should get you excited, more excited than winning the lottery. I'm just saying. Verse 17. In all things, he had to be made like who? You and me, his brethren. Jesus came down, and as he walked flesh on the earth, he, he was a brother, and we were made like, he was made like his brethren. All of this is in chapter 2, by the way. So that why? He would become merciful and faithful, and that he'd be our high priest. You know, this is the very first time in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as our high priest. And it's referred to in the context that he became like you, he overcame Death through the cross, and now he can understand because he is faithful and merciful, and he's compassionate. That's my kind of high priest right there. Yeah. See, love overcomes all the lies and the darkness of the enemy. Love really does. So he was made like us, faithful, merciful in the things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of those people. Meaning he paid the price. He resolved the issue. Now you're fully reconciled back to the Lord. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's done. It's finished. You just say yes and walk out that door. Walk out the door of the jail cell into your freedom. And always know it's always open because of the blood. And in, the, in care and compassion and love with Jesus' help, you can do this. So he paid the price for sin. Verse 18 for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are being tempted. So now when temptation comes, I have help. Yeah. Now when I'm struggling, I have aid. Come on. The lie of the devil is to get you to believe he doesn't care. Right. Look at you. You failed. You, God's disappointed with you. You let him down. That's all earthly father stuff. Mm -hmm. Now we can look to the Lord and know that you're loved. If you can catch this, you'll never live the same. You'll never live the same. The lies of the devil have been defeated. I'm going to show you just a couple more scriptures, and then we're going to pray for you. If you've been tormented, 
If you're struggling with sin patterns and identity and shame and victim mentality because of your past, failures and mistakes, learn from my life. I'm like a poster child of mistakes and failures. But you know what? Now I'm a poster child of freedom. And I can, I can help you. We can help each other. There's a lot of people here that can help you. If Jesus resolved the issue by dying on the cross, if death resolved death, then death to self will resolve the death that the enemy wants to bring to my family so I don't have to be afraid anymore. The key is I die to self, and the key is I shut the door to the enemy. And one of the simplest ways to do is say, Lord, I don't want to sin anymore because sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. So no matter how hard it is, even if I'm making mistakes and sinning in how I may treat my wife or treat other people, I'm still not opening the door to the things that I once do, and God's coaching me and teaching me in the, in the process of time. But at least I'm not doing the ones that I know are blatant. And what I want you to know, if you're struggling with porn, if you're struggling with look, lust, if you're struggling with those things, the Lord is walking with you to help you come out of that, and he cares about you, and he resolved it, and he's saying, son, you don't have to live that way anymore. Come into my presence, and my presence will transform you, because when you get fascinated with the Lord, you're like, this blows porn out of the water. This blows temporary lust and affection that is only lasts for a moment. This blows it out of the water. The key is you have to taste something better. We have to have a renewed understanding of our authority over the enemy. When Jesus rose from the dead and was seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, this became his position, which now becomes yours. So in Ephesians chapter 1, if you haven't read Ephesians chapter 1, go read it. I call this the spiritual warfare book. This whole church started with a riot and casting out demons. I mean, go read Acts of how Ephesus, I've taught on it before. <coughs> and so in Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> Excuse me. In Ephesians chapter 1, as <clears throat> Paul's talking about what happened when Jesus rose from the dead and that he's praying for us, that the eyes of our understanding would uh, be open, that we'd understand what we've been given, that we'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. See, what I'm really trying to do is get you to get a revelation, because if you get a revelation about what Jesus did, you'll weep, you'll cry, and you'll mourn for the sin, and you'll say, God, you are so high and seated above, and you're my king, and you love me so much, and you paid this price so that I don't have to live in this dysfunction anymore. When you get that revelation, it'll change your marriage. It'll change everything. And so <clears throat> Paul's basically saying that when Jesus rose from the dead, see, we got Easter coming April 1st. We don't need to t wait till then to celebrate the resurrection. We have a resurrected living God who, who we've been made alive with. He's made us alive with him. Okay, And so when he was rose from the dead, it goes on to say in Ephesians 1.21 that this is what happened. He was put far above, everybody say far above. far above, all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things, everybody say all things, all things. under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Say, tag, I'm it. So he put everything under his feet, but who's his body? So we're coming back to the understanding of that. I have actually have authority to shut the door and tell the devil no because Jesus shut the door. The door's shut. 
So when the enemy tries to come, like I just remind him of who he is. He's trying to remind me and tell me I'm never going to get it. That's a lie. Now I understand scriptures like this. And I understand that God's end time plan is tag I met. He fills all in all, which is his church. Not this four walls, but all of us as a people infiltrating society. So now the local church fills all in all, tag I met. If I want to see revival in Corpus Christi, tag I met. Right? And now what we start doing is, see, Jesus, is, you know, Jesus sits down on the job, right? When Jesus rose from the dead, he's seated down at the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made his footstool. But wait, they're already defeated. So why is he waiting for his enemies to be Because he wants the church to get it. He wants us to learn. And it ultimately comes down to learning how much he loves you. And it's awesome. Man, it's awesome. So I don't have to hunt demons down. I don't have to hunt deliverance down. You know what I do? If I love really, 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 really well, and I shut the door in my personal life, guess what? They got to go. And when you come up for prayer, I'm like, yes, you want to shut the door? Yeah, I want to shut the door. Well, let's just tell the enemy. Let's give him an eviction notice. You post an eviction notice. And I'm evicting you right now, not in 30 days from now. I'm like, devil, get out of my life. And I don't care if you want to call it possessed or oppressed. It doesn't matter to me. The point is, if he's around, let's get him out. Come on, yeah. Woo. Woo. That's a good shout right there. Can you guys give me a few more minutes? Are you all right? Okay, great. I'll give you a couple more minutes. We also must have the solid understanding of what happens when we look to Jesus and understand that what he did for you and that he gave, that when we give our lives to the Lord, what happens? So pull up Colossians 2, verse 13. It says, when you were dead in your sin and your uncircumcised heart, basically, when you weren't born again and you were dead in your trespasses, it says that something incredible happens when we come to the Lord. We're made alive. So when I once was that, now I'm made, when I once was dead in sin and who I used to be, that old man dies. Now I'm made alive together with who? Yeah. With Jesus. With Jesus. Then it says, all my trespasses are forgiven. So I did some of the most horrible stuff I don't even want to ever tell you about. Really, I did some really bad things. But you know what? All that's forgiven. And that's all wiped and washed away in the blood. And so he forgives you of every failure and every mistake. And then verse 14, it says that he wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that were against you, which were contrary. The word contrary is a warfare term. That means it's in direct defiance and opposition against your life. So the law was, was put in place to reveal your inadequacy so that when Jesus come, comes, you would look to him and it would resolve because you could never do the law. You could never fulfill or satisfy the requirements of the law. So they were against you. And anybody that doesn't, doesn't know Jesus, even right now under the sound of my voice, is still living under the law and will be broken by it. So the law was designed to break you and to help you reveal and see how depraved and how desperate you are so that now you'll come to Jesus and go, I can be free. I don't have those things that are trying to plague me. The, like, I'll give you a good example about this. Nathan was, was singing this morning, go and sin no more. That's the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. And so the Pharisee, Jesus goes to the temple, and the Pharisees wanted to trick Jesus and catch him in false theology. And so they bring the woman caught in adultery, and they say, this woman was caught in adultery, and here's what the law of Moses said, she should be stoned. So they're standing there with rocks in their hand, ready to kill this girl. Can you imagine what this adulteress must have been thinking? 
shame, fear of death. She's ready to be killed. She's like going to be killed in an instant. I mean, this is a showdown. This isn't a pretty little scene. Like they are like vipers ready to kill this girl. And they're leaning on the Old Testament law. And she's under bondage to the Old Testament sayings that said, if you're caught in adultery, you will die. And so Jesus, not even paying attention and listening to what they were saying, gets down on the ground and starts writing. It's the finger of God in the garden, in the dust and frailty of man, writing on the hearts of people that brings a revelation that says, I have to drop my stone. And Jesus says, let him who, has, who is without sin cast the first stone. And they drop their stones. And everybody leaves and it's just him and the adulteress. And Jesus says this powerful thing to her. Who's condemning you now? And, and the lady says, no one. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Go. And don't come back to this bondage of death and destruction and depravity anymore. <laughs> yeah! That is the picture of what I'm trying to teach you today. Stop allowing condemnation and the lies of the devil to accuse you and start believing who you are as a son and a daughter. Get to the cross, shut the door, read your Bible, come up here to worship when it's time to worship because God set you free. You're no longer the person that you used to be or you don't have to live the way that you used to live. Powerful. So I'm really going to leave you with this. We'll keep reading. He says, he took out the requirement that was written and that was contrary. And he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed, everybody say disarmed. disarmed. Principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So the devil's disarmed. So anything that he comes to bring you is a deceptive lie and an illusion to trick you and to entice you to make a bad decision, to believe a lie, and it brings deception, and it keeps you and I isolated, and it gets you to believe a lie about yourself, and if you don't see yourself properly, guess what? You'll never love somebody else, because sin always affects somebody else. You can never say, this is my own private thing, that it doesn't affect anyone. There's no such thing, because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're not seeing yourself properly, I'll never love you properly. It's the subtlest deception that keeps us divided and keeps us disunified. I'm probably going to have to do a part two of this. And a part three. I'm going to have to do a whole lifetime series on this message. I'll just leave you with this. I won't be able to finish the scriptures that I had just because of time and the stories that I tell. And again, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. We're going live feed now on YouTube and on Facebook. And so there's a lot of people in the world looking into this kind of message. And it means a lot to me that you guys are so attentive and so desirous for the things of the Lord. And I don't take it lightly. But I want to leave you with this. All sin has its roots from the devil. The devil sinned from the beginning, and whenever sin creeps into your life, it has its origins in demonic activity, okay? Even if, 
even if it was your flesh and you made the choice not even enticed by the devil, the original infectious poison that was even put into us to cause us to want to do that came from him. All the way back to the garden, okay? So I have to understand that I now practice what I'm being taught and I now put into practice what Jesus did for me. It's called practicing righteousness. And practicing means I'm learning and I'm discovering. And so now I no longer practice the sinful life that I used to. I may sin on occasion, but now I'm learning to practice righteousness. And so in turn, God and his love and his kindness is aiding me and helping me to be who he wants me to be. That's 26 years summed up for you in two minutes. Really, okay? Now, for some of you, you don't have to, doesn't have to take you 26 years, right? Because I'm teaching it to you in an hour. And you can get this. You can learn this. But I'm just going to say this to you. Sin shames and blames. Sin causes me to believe a lie about myself so that I can't properly love others. And one of the greatest devices of the enemy is to get you angry, to preserve yourself, and especially to walk in unforgiveness. And I'll leave you with this scripture, and then we're going to pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, Whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one. And the context of this is somebody in the church that acted out, that grieved the church, that grieved the, the people that he was writing to. And he says, look, you got to forgive lest the devil come in and oppress that person so much that they can't come back from it, and he kills them. And he goes on to say, for your sakes in the presence of Christ, forgive so that Satan should, so that lest Satan should take advantage of you, for we're not ignorant of his devices. You got to not be ignorant anymore. He wants to take advantage of you. And the number one way that he can do it is to get you angry, self-preserving, and not forgiving. And I've had people say to me, I can't forgive that person for what they did. I remember when I first went to pray for my mom, she'd been battling sickness her whole life, like nine surgeries. And the Lord said, she never forgave your dad for leaving her when you were a baby. And I said, mom... Listen, the Lord spoke to me. I said, look at me. I said, you need to forgive my father for when he left you and I. And she looked away and she said, I can never forgive him. And my mom wouldn't let me pray for her. I've had many people tell me I can never forgive because they feel like forgiveness isn't going to bring justice to their life and that you're giving them a pass. But the Bible says if you'll put it in the hands of the Lord, vengeance belongs to him. He's the justice bearer. So you say, God, I had a, a lady come up to me at the end of last service who had been abused, and she's going to trial in another city. And she said, I'm praying that this guy pays the price and gets punished. And then she says, is that the right thing I'm supposed to pray? I said, well, the better thing to pray is pray, Lord, I'm putting this person in your hands. Do whatever needs to be done to bring justice. Because the ultimate justice bearer is the Lord, and he uses people, but now I'm submitted to him to bring justice through my life on earth. And so the greatest deception of the enemy is to get you to believe lies about yourself, one another, 
to have no mutual submission and unity, to be divided, and ultimately to entice you to do things that will kill you. And I'm here to rescue you, and Jesus is here to rescue you. This is a rescue church. This is a rescue church. I don't care what you did last night. If you'll say yes to the process, you can keep coming here week after week after week. Do not isolate yourself. No matter what we go through, even when the devil says give up and quit, you're such a fake and you're such a liar. Those are common ploys of the enemy. And I've recognized them over the years. I say, no, 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 no. And in fact, the more that he says that to me, the more I run to worship. And the more that I'm hurting and struggling, the more I run to worship. And you know what happens? More often than not, I cry and I bawl my eyes out and I feel pain for the things that I've done and the sin that's in other people's lives. And I weep for you. And I weep for myself instead of always trying to find pleasure. Now, I resist the devil and he flees and I cleanse my hands and I weep and I mourn. This is all in the Bible. And I weep and I mourn and I rend my heart. And God says, oh, man, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Let's all stand.